0: Welcome back to Money Minutes for Doctors. Once again, I am your host, Christina McAteer, and on behalf of the Brown Emergency Medicine blog, we welcome you to Money Minutes for Doctors, a financial podcast focused on physician wellness. We welcome our featured guest, Ms. Catherine Vestas. Catherine, how is your day going? Another
1: great day to get your finances in order. So great to be with you, Christy.
0: Well, it does take a lot of effort and detailed housekeeping. So thanks to you for giving us thought content that can trigger some decisions and hopefully lead us all to financial wellness.
1: Well, I'm very happy to be here, and I certainly want to hope our listeners get much more of a peace of mind about their finances, because that's one of my goals.
0: Excellent. So the topic today that I was going to bring up was gender and finance. And I know that that's an exceptionally broad topic, but here we are in September of 2023. Unbelievable. Where does the time go? But as it is Women in Medicine Month, in my mind, it really highlights the role that women play, not only within the house of medicine, and we all know the studies that quote, um, that there is a disparity between women as wage earners, but also looking specifically about women as being the primary breadwinner within the house and what that means not only for the female, but also as other components of her family structure as well. How does that sound to you, Catherine?
1: (laughs) It's a broad topic, but I think we can cover it.
0: Perfect. And I know we've hinted about this in other podcasts, is that a common trend that we see is where women go to medical school, obviously graduate, and then go on to work in medicine. And I think a lot of times they try to do it all, but (laughs) they contribute greatly on the professional front. And I know the studies show that patients generally appreciate a female provider. So I do believe that women very much should have a seat at the table of medicine, However, I do have some concerns when I see some of my female colleagues working this hard, sacrificing this much, and and sometimes, I'll be honest, I'm not sure that their partners in life are are pulling their fair share. So I was hoping maybe you could share some case studies or examples about um, women in medicine, some of the things that you've observed, and then maybe just try to review some role-based gender norms and and where we're going in the future.
1: Awesome. Well, as I was prepping for today, I was thinking about this dinner party I hosted. So our listeners may know almost all of our clients come to us uh, via referrals. And so I really believe in educating prospective new doctors. And one of the ways that we do this is that very frequently our clients will help me host a dinner party and they invite their uh, 10 or 12 of their colleagues And I'll do an educational topic. I don't believe in, as you know, push sales or anything like that. I just want to give them really, really good information. So about 10 years ago, maybe 12, um, I did a dinner party just for women. I called it Wine, Women, and Wealth. Don't you like that title? I thought it was fun. (laughs) Sure do. (laughs) And of course, it was was women-only doctors. This dinner party was a blast. It was such a blast. I still remember it, like 10 years later. It was so much fun. Part of the reason it was fun is all the women were engaged. They were happy. They're asking great questions. They're kind of sharing their souls about where they are with their finances. In retrospect, I started thinking how different this was from all my other dinner parties. Now, we do have fun in our other dinner parties, but they typically are bringing their spouses to other dinner parties. Occasionally, you know, if it's an unmarried uh, doctor, he or she will come by themselves, but usually they bring a date. And I was noticing the difference in the whole tone of the, the party. And when I when we had men there, the men were extremely engaged or asking a lot of questions and the women would ask some questions, but not much. They were definitely more toned down uh, than, than they were when they were having both genders there. As opposed to the dinner party where it was just women and they were all speaking very, very freely. And it was a big, big surprise to me. I, do, does it surprise you?
0: Not at all. I'm sure that that women-only space just gives a little bit more freedom and and kind of a, a trust bond, if you will, <laughs> to share some intimate concerns and questions.
1: Well, interesting. I, I totally agree with you. And it, it is the reason that some parents want to send their uh, their daughters to, you know, schools just for girls, because they want them to be able to have more leadership and not be competitive with the boys and what have you. I think that's kind of interesting. What was even more interesting, though, was the results. Normally, I do these dinner parties. I would say 80 to 90%, sometimes 100% of the people who attend actually become clients after these dinner parties. I don't think I got a single client from this entire dinner party. So it was actually the very last time I ever did a Wine, Women, and Wealth. And the reason is, they a lot of them said, yes, yes, we'd like to meet with you. But they went home uh, to their husbands or their spouse's. And I don't know that there were any same-sex couples there. And by and large, the husband sabotaged it. So I actually did not even meet with any of the people there, even though they were, all of them left, really motivated to make a change for the better. They all wanted to get their finances in shape. And they uh, they all wanted to move ahead and get get a sense of financial freedom for them. And then they went home and their spouses nixed it and either said, oh, no, I've got this under control, or they were skeptical, uh, you know, even... Doesn't, I don't charge them anything for meeting with me, so there was really no risk, but they didn't want to move forward. So it was a very, very interesting and eye-opening experience for me.
0: I'll bet. And it is very interesting to think about because in general, I would say that the gender-based norm is that men absolutely kind of are thought to be better at finances innately and should be the financial head of the household, whether or not they actually make the money. That's a whole different topic. But we know that women are actually going into medicine, and and certainly from the survey according to the AAMC in 2017 and 2018, that was the first time that the matriculating class of medical students was over half women, and in 2019 women now make up more than male medical students. So the tides are changing, women are out there, they're getting these jobs and having this income earning potential. But if we're going to defer the management of that to our male partners, then I think we potentially put ourselves at risk. So I'd I'd love to hear your thoughts on how women can really be empowered to take control of their finances, but then I guess more so is what are the risks if they don't?
1: Oh, the risks are huge if they don't. And you asked for a couple stories. So let me tell you a couple. These are these are clients that I declined to work with, so it's not any existing clients, and you'll see why when I tell you a couple of stories. So one is um, female doctor, lovely, very smart, obviously, brand new brand new surgeon. Had numerous meetings with her, her finances were pretty much a mess. And I'm, I'm pulling everything together so that she can save money and at some point be financially independent and quit working, right? And I'm recommending very conservative investments. As you well know, I believe in an evidence-based investing. We use low-cost mutual funds. We do tax-efficient investing. It's it's a very, very conservative thing. So she's single. And so she wanted to run this by her brother, who was even younger than she was. And her brother was working in the bond department at Wells Fargo. And he was brand new, just out of college, working in the, in the bond department. So she took all of my advice and ran it by the brother. And the brother comes back and says, no, this is way too risky. You should never be doing this. And honestly, on a scale of one to 10, the level of risk of what I'm suggesting is maybe a two or a three, right? It's like way too risky. He goes, you need to do hedge funds. So I was like, What? It's like hedge funds, hedge funds on a scale of one to 10 are like 20, right? Your, your chance of losing all your money is extremely high. I was going to
0: say, I put that up there with like venture capital investments.
1: <laughs> exactly. Extremely risky. A lot of times they're not liquid. You can't get your money back as opposed to mutual funds or ETFs and the kinds of things we're doing. In other words, he was giving her horrific advice. And after having a couple of meetings with her, she goes, I'm just so confused and I'm so conflicted, Catherine. I don't know who to believe. Mm -hmm. Now I couldn't tell her her brother was an idiot, which is what he was and giving her terrible advice. But what I did was I I very carefully closed her file and I looked at her right in the eye and I said, let Mm -hmm. me tell you what you need to do. You need to work with your brother. And the reason is you're going to be seeing him every Thanksgiving, every Christmas, every 4th of July for the rest of your life. So you need to have a really good relationship with him. And you know, if it doesn't work out in the future, that's fine. Come back. But I think it's very important for you to stick with your family. And there we go. I kind of washed my hands of it and I've not seen her since. But I know this woman is in for a lot of trouble. He's going to blow through her money, uh, putting things that are too risky. She's not going to be able to save enough and she's going to be in a very, very tough shape.
0: Yes, but to your point, obviously, so much of relationships is trust. And so she feels the trust and obviously the love and the confidence in her brother. Yes, you can't step between that. So it was wise to let her go that route.
1: I had another situation, and this is why I hope our female listeners and listening to this do not ever allow themselves to get into this. Um, And I've seen this a couple of times. Once again, this is a case I, for reasons you'll see, it declined. This was a gastro interologist, so she's making, I don't know, five fifty, six hundred, seven hundred thousand dollars. And her husband was in tech consulting making maybe fifty thousand. So big disparity. But you could tell who was the in the old world we'd say, who wears the pants in this family. She was meek, laid back, didn't respond, and he was like going head to head with me and punching me and didn't like any anything I'm suggesting. And they they needed to forget everything I was talking about in saving money and they needed to buy the $2 million house and they wanted to buy Teslas and some other brand new cars and some other kinds of, which is fine. You, you'd think on 500,000 a year, you could do all that. Well, not when you've got a lot of student debt and some other stuff. He knows, no, there's no point in us saving any money. And I watched him kind of berate her in front of me and put her down. You know, she'd say, well, you know, honey, I think it's important that we have enough life insurance to cover the kids if something happens to us. And he's like, no, 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 we don't need any of that. And, I, and he was like dead set on this $2 million house and nothing was going to stop. I left and I wanted to cry. She may not be physically abused, but she was being emotionally and financially abused. And really the only thing she could do in that situation was she could do some counseling to try to get her own boundaries in place and or divorce the guy. I mean, that was it. But I didn't think she was going to do either the, either of that. I thought she just had a very long history of being in a very abusive relationship where she's going to make a lot of money and she's going to be broke the entire time.
0: Well, it's interesting, too. I'm just looking. There was a study done that looked at the psychological distress that men suffered when they made less than their wives. Um, and they actually found that if the income disparity was less then the psychological stress was more. However, at some point, and specifically they quote the number about 40%, so when men make less than 40% of what their female partners make, that's when the psychological distress starts to peak, and potentially that does put them at risk for being a little bit more emotionally or psychologically abusive just as they attempt to manage that distress from the disparity and certainly if you're quoting, you know, this female GI making 550 and the husband making 50, well, you don't need to be a math genius to know that that's way more than the 40%. You know, that is such a good
1: observation because I always thought he has kind of a natural overbearing abusive kind of personality. But to your point, it may be exacerbated by the fact that he doesn't feel good about himself. He's he's making a tenth of what his wife is making. And so this may be how he feels like he's in control or more more equal in the relationship when really he's becomes very dominant. It's not a collaborative relationship.
0: Sure. Because the study goes on to speak about the psychological discomfort of the male when they're dependent on the income of the wife and also that they feel emasculated and, and feel emotionally upset um, by their social expectations and performances due to the income disparity. So Perhaps we should feel some empathy to these poor male partners if they're not able to earn the income. However, obviously that treatment is never fair. And to your point, you have concerns that the females in this situation will be subject to poor financial decisions, which will cause distress lifelong. So, talk to us about what are you noticing that are going to be the key decisions that women need to make when they are the primary breadwinner? I mean, how do they own that income and own the fiscal responsibility that goes along with it?
1: Well, first of all, I'd say they have to be engaged. You can't just totally pass this off to somebody else. You have to get involved. So maybe you're not the person at home that pays all the bills. Maybe your spouse is doing that, but you need to sit down probably weekly and literally go through the numbers. Where is everything going so that you're on top of it and you know where things are going. And you then along with that, you need to be together setting some boundaries with your, with your spouse or your partner. In other words, maybe roughly X amount every month, we're going to be putting in long-term savings Y amount is going for our kid's college or education in the future. Z amount is going to go for fun, whatever, so that you've got some parameters there and you feel like that you've got some control. It is a nightmare if you, if you transfer all of this over and um, your partner is not doing a good, a good job. I just had a case just a week, lovely, lovely couple. And the, the spout, this is not one where the, the female is making less than the male. The male is, the male is making more, but we're at, she had actually inherited quite a bit of money. And I'd say, so how is this invested? She goes, I don't know. My husband's doing it. How, what kind of returns? I don't know. My husband's doing it, <laughs> whatever. I said, I think we better talk to the husband. So we get the husband in on the next call. And he, he, he goes, well, most of this is in cash, which is, now is not the time to be in cash, by the way. And some of it, we've got these individual stocks and how are you picking them? And he goes, I don't really have time to follow them. And he was very honest. He, it was his job to be managing her money, and he did not have the time or the interest to do, to do it. So I felt really felt sorry for them. But it was a great time to get it out and use an advisor, almost like a mediator, to figure out what's where and what can we do, what can't we do, and get some parameters around it so we can have some peace about it.
0: Mm. And it's interesting, too, because it, I'm going on to read the here that, you know, the belief that the marriage or whatever type of relationship is really viewed as a partnership in making sure that you have shared assets. And so whatever the agreement is made between the relationship you want to make sure that the each partner in the relationship is committed to the success of that financial strategy and really believes that the assets are shared.
1: And I will tell you a lot of times I don't recommend that. Mm. So sometimes for, for female clients, they can't get the, um, the spouse on board. I go, okay, well, then we should come in and just work with yours. So I do have some female doctors like this. I never meet the husbands. They're off somewhere doing, I don't know what they're doing, but, but at least are the female doctors are taking charge of their own finances. They, we put together a financial plan. We don't worry about the husbands. This is how do you take care of yourself going, going forward? How do we manage this? How do we do budgets for you? And sometimes that's the best way. I prefer to have the spouses involved, obviously. To your point, it's much better if we can get everybody on the same page. Everybody's working together from the same goals a ton better. But some some husbands, some spouses just won't get there. So whatever you can do, if you're a female listening to this, don't surrender to that. Please take charge. This is your money. You've worked really hard for it. You paid for it with hours of your life that you will never get back. So you need to make sure that you're managing and being good stewards of this. So I would encourage you to get to get involved at some level, hopefully collaboratively. Uh, if not that, then at least take charge of your own finances and let your husband, spouse, partner take care of his or hers on their own.
0: I would agree with that wholeheartedly. I think having a collaborative effort and feeling that you're both engaged in the same approach for the greater good is clearly the strategy that's going to give you the most The best chance of long-term success, potentially for women, if they're in a relationship, any thoughts on some red flags that might raise suspicion that perhaps their partner doesn't view them as equals or potentially is looking at it for the financial gains rather than the benefit of the entirety of the relationship?
1: What we used to call, are you asking, are you a gold digger? Or at least that's what we used to call them. (laughs) Fair enough.
0: Yes, yes.
1: I would say that couples that are dating don't ask enough good financial questions to really get at the heart of where their significant other is. So some of the questions I would ask them is, how did your parents treat money growing up? And ask a lot of questions. What was important to them? How do they treat it? Um, What kind of things would they spend money on? What wouldn't they spend money on? Were they savers? Were they spenders? You know, what, what was life like? And then the next question is, and how does that impact you today? And then be straight up. How do you see us managing our finances going forward?
0: Mm. Yeah, an honest conversation about financial goals and, and your philosophy toward finances, I think is essential if you want any type of harmony in your relationship.
1: Totally. And you really need this up front because um, I think you're trying to determine, do you have a spouse or a future spouse that's a big spender and you're a saver? Um, that's going to cause a lot of friction or the other way around. Maybe you're the, say you're the spender and they're the saver. You want to be able to come to some sort of mutual ground, but the sooner the better, or it's going to cause a lot of arguments, which we definitely want to avoid. So those are, those are some of the questions that, um, I'd be asking a lot. I'm finding a lot of our clients, though keep their money separate. I, I first noticed it many years ago. It was very common in doctors coming here from Asia that they would not only keep their, their maiden names, but they would keep all their money separate. But I'm now seeing more and more doctors born in the States keep their finances separate. And that may be a good alternative.
0: And perhaps with this next question, I'm really leaning on the legal side of your education and experience, Catherine. But in these situations going into the relationship, when you know the woman is going to be the higher earner, would you suggest a prenuptial agreement? Is, is that a thought? Well, I've got
1: mixed feelings about prenuptial agreements so there's a lot of thought that the doctor is going to always be making more money and that is true in many cases but i do have some doctors that married the guy that at the time wasn't doing that well and then he goes on to create a business and whatever and he then later he's worth multi-millions from the business he created and he's way out weighing how much the doctor makes so it can go it can go both ways so I think the, odd, the, not the odd, but the problem with prenuptial agreements is it's a very touchy subject to bring up. You typically need two attorneys to be able to negotiate these. So there's, it's not ex, inexpensive to do these and they have to be done before you're married because they say that, you know, the, the give and take in the legal contractual world is this is a, a, an agreement that you get into. Um, on the contingency that you're going to be getting married. After you're already married, you don't really have that quid pro quo. And so anti-nuptial agreements are usually not enforceable. So you do need to do prenuptial agreements.
0: Wonderful. Well, I wish I could tell you that the inequalities between genders were going to disappear in the short term. I'm optimistic they eventually will, but I do not profess to know the timeline. So I think in the immediate term, there is a very real chance that as females and as female physicians, we may be earning more than our male partners. And I just hope that you look at your relationship and make sure that it is balanced. It doesn't have to be financially balanced. There's many ways to contribute to a relationship, but hopefully that the partnership is built on mutual respect and trust and common goals, because that seems to be the key to life's harmony.
1: I would agree. Um, There's one other topic on this I'd like to bring up if you've got a few more minutes. Please. Um, I don't know, Chrissy, if you've looked at the studies about how women doctors make significantly less than men. Uh, And this is even when adjusted for age and for the mommy track and specialty.
0: I think it's always important to highlight that data. I feel like we can't hear it loud enough and, and often enough for our own well being and awareness of the ine- inequalities we face in the workplace. Bring it on, Catherine.
1: Well, I actually have a couple thoughts about this. As you know, when we t- work with doctors, very often we work with numerous of their colleagues in the same um, in the same specialty in the same hospital, or the same clinic. So we know a lot of their their colleagues. I'll be frank; I cannot think of a single case where I've had. A female doctor making less than a male doctor when I knew what their colleagues were making. So I know the studies are out there, but in general, I haven't seen it personally. I will say though that what I noticed that as I started pondering this about why is this an issue in general, and I think it became that clear to me that the female doctors were less likely to negotiate than the male doctors. They were more likely to just take whatever salary was being offered. Now, this is devastating if you're a brand new doctor, because you want to set your first salary right out of training as high as possible, because every other salary after that is going to be based on that. So set the bar as high as possible. And I would, uh, I later ran, read some research that said that that is true, that that's one of the reasons that women are not making as much as, as male doctors is because they tend to not negotiate. So I would encourage you to, I know it's unpleasant, it's not something you want to do, but I would encourage you to negotiate, not take the first offer out there. And if you've been at the same place for many years and you haven't gotten significant raises, I would strongly encourage you to go back and uh, try to get some additional money. And a great way that you can uh, bolster your position is if you can get the, The MGMA data, that's the best. Um, Or if you go online and do like salary.com or Glassdoor, put in your specialty in an area, you can see what the other doctors in your area are making for your specialty. And that can help become a good negotiating point for you.
0: Excellent. I think that's great. And I do think that to your point of negotiation, it is imperative for us women longer in the profession that we really empower our younger female physicians to really adopt this attitude throughout their training so that when they do graduate, they do feel the ability to negotiate and really recognize their value. I feel all all too often we discuss imposter syndrome and we look at different issues that seem to affect more women in medicine than men in medicine. And at the end of the day, we spend a lot of time discussing these issues. And while important We don't often move the needle forward and get women to a place where they feel they are empowered to negotiate and recognize their values so that when it's time to get that first contract, they're confident in asking for that top dollar.
1: Exactly. We so want to encourage them. And look, all they can do is say no. If they've already offered you the job, they're not going to withdraw their offer just because you're asking for more for more money. And I don't know if this is helpful, Christy, but maybe in a future podcast, we can talk a little bit about how to negotiate.
0: Absolutely. I know we've covered that a while back, but um, never a bad time. And particularly, that's a changing discussion because now as we're f- facing increasing issues of physician shortages, that will only yield more power and and perhaps helping physicians be in a position to capitalize on that will only lead to their benefit. Yes. Totally agree. All right, Catherine. Sounds like a plan. Good. Well, we thank you for your time today, women and male listeners, too. (laughs) We hope that you found this valuable, giving you a little background and context and an important issue. Um, Unfortunately, pay inequities do exist in our society. I wish they didn't, but that is the reality. And hopefully having this information will arm you with information to make intelligent decisions going forward. Catherine, we thank you for your time and listeners on behalf of the Brown Emergency Medicine Residency and Brown Emergency Medicine. Myself, Christina McIntyre, signing off on Money Minutes for Doctors. We look forward to having you join us next month. Be well. It's
1: a gas. Grab that